You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We've been uh, in a series called Disconnected. Um, in a brief, just kind of overview, we've been talking about our relationship uh, with technology, our relationship with the world, with everything that is vying for our attention, our, our time, our affection. Um, and uh, kind of the founding verse for this whole series is found in Matthew 6. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to read it for us. It says, the eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Talking about the things that we see, that we watch, that we consume, it affects our life. It just does. It, it creates pathways in which we walk down. And so today's message is going to be very kind of practical. Um, talking about how do, we, how do we get back on track? How do we define the relationship um, with the things that we allow into our life? Um, and so with that, uh, being mindful of little ears in the room, be very direct with you guys. And so, um, and I'll get their attention and start with this story. Um, so I don't know if this is true. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Uh, but it's a really cool story, so I'm going to tell it anyways. Um, but there was a legend about how the uh, native Inuits used to hunt for wolves. Um, and what they would do is they would get a sword or a knife or a blade or on a spear and they would, they would dip it in an animal's blood and then leave it out to, to freeze and do it over and over again, kind of making like this, it's really gross, but like a popsicle almost, you know? And they would, they would uh, put the, embed the, uh, the sword um, into the ice with the, the blade up. And what it would do is wolves would be attracted to the blood and they would come over and they would lick it. And uh, as they licked it and got a taste for it, I mean, if you've ever fed your dog like a table scrap or, or meat or something, it just, especially with a wolf with blood, it just, it keeps going and keeps licking the blade. And uh, pretty soon the warmth of its tongue warms up the, the blood and it begins to melt and its tongue is getting numb. And pretty soon the blade's edges are exposed and it begins cutting its tongue so much and it tastes its own warm blood and it keeps going. And basically the, the, the wolf kills itself um, by self-inflicted knife wounds to the tongue. Um, now, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But what an incredible depiction of the power of numbness in the world that we live in. And how we, we live in a, in a culture and a society that no longer um, values what is good and right and holy and pure. Um, but numbness has created this, this cycle um, that we are now in. There's a, there's a numbness towards violence. There's a numbness towards tearing down other people publicly. There's a numbness towards decency. There's a, there's a numbness towards explicit images being thrown at you, whether they're selling a mattress or cat food. Like I, there's, there's no rhyme or reason. For, for some reason, they sell it in that way. Right? There's just a numbness to it because the world has gotten so used to it. So what do, we, what do we do with this? Last week we talked about in Galatians 5, this tension between the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit and the, 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 the uh, satiable surface level strong desires versus the deepest levels of who we are. Um, but in the world there's a problem. 
Like every single day, nine people die from distracted driving alone and thousands are injured every single day. Just when it comes to just our relationship with technology, we just can't have enough of it that that many people are injured and die. Um, I saw another stat, this one was shocking, that those that, that look at inappropriate images, um, the infidelity rate goes up by 300% in a marriage, 300%. There, there's actually studies where they, they've, they've noticed a trend of child infant deaths or, or, or young children dying because of neglect from parents who are addicted to video games. Like this is, this is real, guys. This is the life, and you're like, that's not me. That's, you're, you're saying a bunch of high-level stuff, but, but we live in a world that is more connected than ever before, right? The world's at our fingertips, has, has turned away from the norm, has turned away from, from decency and said, hey, you embrace your own version of truth. Whatever truth is to you, you set that, you live in it, and idealizes self. So what do we, what do, we do with this? when we're constantly inundated. I mean, my wife was on a flight this week and there was an older lady sitting next to her reading some kind of raunchy romance novel. Just like, it's like, really? Like this, it's just, it's everywhere. Our connectedness is up, our, our, our stress is up, but what do we do? And the first thing I wanna point out is this, this truth is that sin will often distort freedom and captivity. What sin does is sin distorts the, the boundary of our, our ability to distinguish between freedom and captivity. Uh, you probably have heard of the phrase Stockholm Syndrome, right? Stockholm Syndrome was coined in the 1970s after a bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, the robber took four employees of the bank, held them hostage for 131 hours. I mean, after they were finally released, uh, the people that were held captive have formed this like paradoxical relationship with their captors. Um, there was an emotional bond and they told reporters that they saw the police as their enemy rather than their captor and that they had positive feelings towards the criminal. Um, and psychologists use this Stockholm syndrome to explain uh, the behaviors of survivors of concentration camps or those uh, that are in abusive relationships, those that have uh, been in some kind of zealous cult. Uh, they use this syndrome. There was three distinct things in which they noticed within this. One is that hostages had a negative feelings about the police uh, or authority. And so the, in this condition, they had a negative viewpoint uh, of, of authority, right? Uh, they also had positive feelings towards their captor, and they also developed, the captor developed positive feelings towards the hostage. Um, what I've noticed is that in people, when they get stuck in a cycle of, of sin that feels captive, there's usually a rejection of authority, of truth. There's a, an appeal towards what holds them captive, and there's even some kind of felt mutual benefit that they receive from it. Um, and what I've seen is, it doesn't matter the lie that the world says, it's, this is normal, everyone does it. I have to be this connected. I have to be on call 24-7. I have to be stretched so thin. I, I have to. Um, people that are stuck, um, whether it's in um, an addiction, whether it's a substance, whether it's behavior, whether it's anything, anyone stuck in a habitual sin, it's usually kind of in two camps. It's one, 
Um, those that fully know it, they fully feel the weight that they are held captive, that they, no matter what they've tried to do themselves, they cannot break free. Um, and they are either feel helpless and completely underwater and stuck, or they're actively trying to fight their way out of it. Or on the other side, there's people who are totally unaware of it, or they, they, they don't even realize that they are stuck, um, or they aren't willing to admit it. So on two sides, stuck in this cycle, but what do, what do we do? Because that's no way to live a life, to feel stuck. I, I've, I've counseled throughout the years numerous teenagers who had, in their teenage years were already so consumed in addictive behavior that they didn't know how to break free. When we've got 14-year-olds saying, hey, I'm so hooked on what I've seen and the images that have come my way, I don't know if I can ever change. Like, there's a problem. And we've got to look at this differently. But here's the good news. Uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. Um, and if you notice in Scripture, anytime Jesus shows up, the story changes for the better, right? Like, that's, that's always a, what's the answer? Jesus. But the storyline always gets better when Jesus enters the scene. And here we have a, a Jesus is going to talk about tap, captivity. So verse uh, 14 of Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bible, if not, it will be on the screen. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Right, it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Uh, Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted. And he was tempted by the enemy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But so he finishes that and he returns now to Galilee. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. And he taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by anyone, by everyone. Uh, so even Jesus saw the importance of regular, regular church attendance. Just, you know, anyways. Um, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the, one, uh, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently, and he began to speak to them. He said, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, depending upon what version you may be reading, it may say mic drop after that, okay? This is, seriously, this is the moment, right? He reads the scroll, and they're like, oh, what did he just say? He's like, that just happened. Like, how cool is that, right? He's like, this was just fulfilled in this moment. Everyone spoke well of him, and he would, they were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? They asked him. Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus is saying his ministry is to set captives free, is to heal the blind. The curse of sin is no more. But now that Jesus has entered, there is a solution for humanity, right? That there is freedom from sin. That no longer do we have to feel stuck or be stuck. But he is going to rescue us once and for all 
from the wages of sin and death and hell and the grave. It's a, what's also really cool in this is a, there was something called the, the year of Jubilee. And many would believe it was, this was the year of Jubilee in which he read this. Um, it says the time of the Lord's favor has come. And, and if you were a, an indentured slave or servant, um, every seventh year on the year of Jubilee, you'd be set free. Your, your, your debt was paid. You were now a free person. The land would rest on the year of Jubilee. Like the year of Jubilee was a, was a year of that. And he's talking about the Lord's coming and how there's this like release. You could feel the tension in the room of saying, hey, I, I've come to set people free. Religion put more on people to do. Jesus is saying, no, I've, I've come to rescue people and to set them free. To, to buy back the captives, to, to set them free. And so my, my hope is this, is that for this series, as we wrap this up today, is that in talking about what we consume, what we allow in, what we watch, what we read, what we listen to, the, the connectedness that we have with the world, every, every app, every show, um, every notification. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not gonna say OCD, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do stuff, you know what I'm saying? Um, when, when we, if we go out of town and when you have, when you're just you and your spouse and you pack for a vacation, it's like, let's throw a couple things in a bag and let's hit the road. And when you have kids, it's instantly like, pack up the whole house, you know? It's like, get the pack and play, get the stroller, get the baby stuff. And it's like, oh, we forgot even our bags. And um, so going somewhere with my kids, it's like, they pack so much stuff. Now, I, I love my wife and I love my kids, but they'll try to start putting stuff in the car and I walk out, I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. There's one way to do this and it's the right way, okay? Um, and what you, have to, what you have to do is you can't just keep shoving more stuff in there. What you have to do is you gotta pull everything out. I'm like, all right, take everything out of the car, set it in the driveway. Anything that you want in this car, get it out of the house. I need to see it right now, right? Because it's a giant game of Tetris that you're playing. And it's like... Uh, there's, there's pride on the line as a, as a dude. I don't know if this is, right? We're gonna fit it, right? If, if we don't fit it, we didn't need it to begin with. Um, I don't even shower until like after this because I'm sweating trying to get this stuff in the car. And so I'm packing, I'm reassessing, I'm measuring stuff, maybe not. Um, you get all this stuff in the car and it's like, there's barely enough room for the kids to like breathe, you know? But it's like, we made it. And th- they always are trying to throw extra stuff in the car. I'm like, we don't, we don't need that. Like, we don't need to bring pots and pans. Like, what are you talking about? You know, we're not going to bring your mattress with us in the car. There's, there's one at the hotel, I promise, you know? But they're always just trying to throw all this stuff. And here's, here's the thing. In this series that we would proverbially take all of our connections, everything that we think we have to have, every show, every app, everything vying for our attention, everything we consume, and we would lay it in the driveway for a minute. And before we put one thing back in the car, one thing back into our daily life, into our rhythm, we would ask the Lord, we would pray, we'd say, is this, is this beneficial? Is this feeding the flesh or is this feeding the spirit? Is this, not is this okay, but is this good for me? It, it, not like, it, this isn't horrible. But like, if I gave you food with just a little bit of poison in it, no one's going to be like, oh, okay. It's just a little bit, he said, you know, right? You're, it's poison. You're not going to eat it. 
before we stack the things back in our life, we would assess what they are. God, is it needed? Is it beneficial? Is it drawing me closer to you? So here's a couple of practical things. One we have to realize is that common does not mean correct, right? Common doesn't mean correct. Remember that the old expression when your friends were doing something stupid? Like my friends were doing it. It's like, well, if your friends jumped off a bridge, you're like, I've had one less friend, I guess. No, like parents are like, would you jump off too? No, of course not. Why would we use the world as a standard? Like what well, everyone else is doing. Have you looked at the world lately? They don't have their stuff together. It's chaos. We cannot use what is common to define what is correct. There is a clear difference. Talk about common. Did you know that today, right now, there is more people in slavery than at any point in history? 27 million people. You go to other countries, it's incredibly common. Does it make it correct? No. Common does not mean correct. Every day there's a steady stream of content, perverse, explicit, being thrown at us, at our children every single day. Is it, is it common? Yes. Is it correct? Absolutely not. Stress, anxiety, depression rates are exponentially through the roof. We're pulled in so many directions. This way of life, this, this numbness has become common, but does it make it correct? No. I think sometimes we're just, we're afraid to, to be different. We're afraid to go against the norm. But if you read the Bible, start in Acts. Look at the early church. Nothing they did went with what culture was doing. Everything was countercultural. Like, uh, if you didn't want a child back in the day, you would just leave it out exposed for the elements and just... You would, you would dispose of a child. It was the Christians that said, hey, no, no, no. Every, every soul is valuable. Every person is, is made in the image of God and there was value. And so Christians started the first orphanages. The, the ancient Roman world, it was actually, it was seen as immoral to show mercy and grace and forgiveness towards people. And we're like, this is, this is the center of the gospel that none of us, we all deserve death for our sins, but, but Jesus shows up and forgives us because he, he laid down his life and lived a perfect life and conquered death and hell in the grave, right? It was seen as, as almost immoral. Caring for the sick, the disadvantaged, the poor, the dying was seen as, as dumb because like, they can't do anything for you. So why would you be kind towards someone else? Why would you, why would you extend your your life and your, um, your value of, of, of what you own towards someone else who can't ever repay you. Throughout history, followers of Jesus were countercultural. I mean, when they first started, they were called people of the way because their way of life was countercultural. It was so different than the norm. Jesus said, Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many find it. But narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Meaning that if we follow Jesus, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, if you haven't put your, your, your faith in Jesus yet, I'm so glad you're here. We pray that you would. It's the greatest decision you could ever make with your entire life. More than what job, who you're going to marry, any of that. Making Jesus Lord and Savior is the best decision you would ever make, hands down. But if, if for those that, that have, 
Our, our job, our responsibility is to follow him wholeheartedly. So as a, as a follower of, of Christ, there's things that we don't look at. There's things that we don't watch. There's conversations that we don't join in on. Um, there's defining of the relationship of our overconnected way of life that we just say, hey, this is my margin. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. And it's okay to be different. If you even look at the, the trend um, in, in TV of even uh, cuss words being allowed on the air, um, the first scripted one was in 1999. Um, before that, uh, sometimes people said stuff, it slipped out, uh, but it wasn't ever written into the script. Um, in fact, if you go way back, you look at like episodes of Leave it to Beaver, there was a controversy where uh, there was going to be a toilet in the scene. And they're like, oh, that's just kind of indecent. We don't, we don't talk about bathrooms. We don't talk about that kind of stuff. Like there was this, it was this very, uh, we, we focus on what is, what is pure and upright and there's nothing wrong with the toilet. I mean, everybody uses one, hopefully. Uh, but there, it was just a very like, hey, we're not going to put this on, on, on TV, and, and, and through time, culture has swung. And so in 1999, the, the first uh, curse word was written into a script. And then just two years later, uh, on a cable network, on a show, that same word was used over 200 times in one episode. Right? There, there was an exponential growth of, of needing more shock factor, of, of needing more because people have become numb to it. There, there's a trajectory where the world says, hey, what was once taboo is now common. Is it working out for anybody? This like, do whatever feels good. I, I've never met anyone whose life is better because they live that mantra. Just do whatever feels good in the moment. Live for here and now. But the people who have joy are the people who don't just live for the moment. They live for purpose. And they realize they've been made by God Almighty. They see themselves as valuable. So, because why? Because it affects our relationship with other people and our relationship with the Lord. Next thing is this, is that we fight against lies with truth. We fight against lies with truth. Sin looks appealing. If it didn't, no one would sin. If sin looked painful and horrible, no one would ever make a mistake, Right? If, if every sin was like putting your hand on a stove, no one, no one would do it. But there's an element where the enemy uses sin to, to look fun, to look like, hey, that's going to pay out for you. Uh, but it always leads to death and destruction. We, we see this earlier in, in, uh, in Luke 4 and also in, in Matthew, uh, where Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted. Now, now, Jesus, who is fully God, fully man, right? When the enemy comes, he's been fasting for 40 days, and it says he's very hungry. And three different times, the enemy tries to tempt Jesus. D Jesus doesn't just, like, flick him away. He doesn't respond with power. What Jesus responds with to every temptation is truth. He recites back the word of God. And even the enemy begins to quote scripture and Jesus says, but it also says. So for, for you and I, like, how can we know God's ways if we don't know God's word? Because the world says, hey, do this. This is common to everybody else. And you're like, well, where do I stand on the subject? Where, where do I stand? If everyone else is doing it, I mean, maybe it's right. 
But we, in order to, to know, I'm not saying you need to have this book memorized, but what I'm saying is the more we open the pages, we read it, we allow it to read us, the more we understand the nature and the character of who God is. This isn't a rules and regulations book. This isn't a code book. We have to, we, we've got to make sure every dot is checked off and, and all these things. This is a book that God says, hey, I invented life. I know the best way for you to live it. I'm not down on fun. I'm down on pain. And if you follow me, you realize that I have, I have great things in store for you. And yes, here are some things you probably shouldn't do. Here's some things you really need to do. He's not trying to puppet us. He's a parent who's trying to protect us, who loves us, and wants us to live our life to the full. So next thing we have to do, we have to set boundaries. We have to set boundaries. Not having any kind of filter about what we allow into our lives is dangerous. It's just, it's outright a little bit dumb, let's be honest, okay? If, um, if I approached your six-year-old today with a free phone, with unlimited access to anything, no boundaries, no parameters, you don't get a say-so in what they do with it. You instantly don't like me. You're terrified. We don't even trust our kids to choose our meals, do we? If you let your children, even teenagers, because it's applicable to them, pick out the meals for your family for the next week, you'd be terrified and you'd be broke. Let's be honest. Like, we don't trust our children to, to choose their own, like, food to eat. Because we're like, no, if you can choose anything, they're like, I want the brownies. What do you know for breakfast? Brownies. You know, dinner, brownies, right? No, it's just me. Um, so why would we trust them with a tool to allow the world access to them that's going to shape the way they think, that's going to shape their relationships, that's going to shape their future marriage, that's going to affect their soul? So we have to set boundaries in place. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust." Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the name of the Lord with pure hearts. We don't flirt with it. We flee from it. If, 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 uh, if somebody threw a grenade in the middle of the room, we're not going to this scenario, okay? No one's going to be like, huh, I should get closer and see how that thing works, right? Instantly, you're like, danger, you leave. Right? You, you know the destructive power of it. But the enemy's like, that's ah, not a big deal. It's not, it's not an issue. You can watch this show. It's just, don't really talk about it with your church friends, right? Uh, you guys just watch it on your own. Like, no, there's destruction. He says, anything that, that, that feeds the flesh, we should flee from it, run from it. Like, it, it's not because God's just trying to control you because it's destructive. It's gonna change how you think. It's gonna change how you see other people. It's going to change your relationships. It's cancer that you're allowing into your life. I'm not saying we be prudish, but we need rules. We need boundaries in our life. It's, it's, I've used this before, but we, we almost picture sin as like a bonsai tree, right? It's this one little thing. And we can, we can manicure it and we can cut it and it's got its own little cute little pot and it just, it stays, it stays right here. And we, we cut the right branches off and it makes it, 
it, it's all contained, but, but sin does not stay there. Sin is more like kudzu. You've seen kudzu, we live in the South, it's everywhere. You look at the side of the road, it grows over vehicles, it grows on the highway, it grows up telephone poles, down the lines, it grows everywhere, it can't be contained. You gotta burn that stuff or till it up and then it grows back again somehow. Sin is not a bonsai, it is a kudzu, it leaks everywhere. And when we open up our life, I can watch that, I can be there, I can be all of this. It doesn't stay there. But sin leaks. And sin affects our relationships, it affects how we see things. So for us, just some of our practical rules, even with our kids, is that before they watch a new show, uh, a series or something, they have to have permission. Just because it's on whatever fill-in-the-blank subscription service you have doesn't mean that it's acceptable. What in the world? Um, hello, Cool J. I have no idea what just happened. Um, digital assistant's listening. It's like, oh, sure, playing this. Uh, but just because it's on a subscription service doesn't mean they can watch it. Um, they, they have to ask permission. All of uh, devices, tablets, their, their Chromebooks from school, main floor only. Uh, they need to be around everyone else. They, they're not, you're not going to go do your homework on your laptop up in your room. You're going to be here where everyone else is. Uh, and also, it's, it's, there's no, like, this is my device. Uh, like one, you live in my house, uh, and we gave it to you, so it's technically it's mine, anyways. Um, but even even my wife and I, there, there's no like this is my phone. Everything's out in the open. Um, every everything's available for any point for anyone to see. Um, it is it's it's an open door. It's open book and it's open communication. We we have boundaries. There's there's things that we don't allow in. There's things that we don't watch. There's things that we don't we don't listen to. I mean, there's just, freedom is possible. You need to know that. If you feel like stuck in a, in a, in a cycle of, of sin, you need to realize that, that freedom is possible. It takes work, it takes fighting, but it is possible. Uh, so this joke, there was a man who was struggling with his, his diet and he realized he had to drive downtown and on his way downtown, he was gonna pass right by the donut shop. And so he's like, no, I'm trying to be good. I'll just go in for a cup of coffee. And so he pulled in to go to a cup of coffee. He's like, all right, Lord, if you don't want me to have a donut, don't let an open spot in the front open up for me. If there is, I'm thinking that's a sign you want me to get a donut. And he's like, and sure enough, a spot opened up on the seventh trip around the block. You know, it's like, just circle it. Lord, you must provide. You wanted, you wanted me to have a donut. But set boundaries, not ideas, but boundaries. You know, they actually did studies. They, uh, I didn't say this in the first service, but they, they put kids on a playground and said, you can play everywhere. There's a playground area, there's an open field. They said, you can play wherever you want. And all the kids gravitated towards like the playground. They didn't go very far off. But then they built a fence around the perimeter of the playground that went far. And you know what happened? The kids actually played over the entire yard. Because boundaries actually give us freedom. You want to know when you walk out of here that somebody's not going to walk up and punch you in the face, right? Because there's boundaries of how we conduct ourselves, hopefully. There, there, there's laws. Like, we, we want boundaries. We thrive with some form of boundaries. And absolute freedom is actually no freedom at all. It's actually a miserable spot to be. Thank God that God tells us what is right and what is wrong. 
and that we don't get to be our own judge of what is right and what is wrong, that there is moral code, that there is, there's a morality that we get to base our life on. Um, and lastly, is that we get to determine what stays. We get to determine what stays. Uh, earlier this year, my wife and I, we went away to celebrate our 15-year anniversary uh, and we, we went to this uh, resort, we're hanging out by the pool and we're sitting there just relaxing and I saw the coolest, most awesome thing just walk right in front of us. I got a video to show you, uh, it's really quick. Those are our feet. Falcon, falcon, okay? A falcon, I want one now. Um, he's just walking around with a falcon on his arm, which is super cool and super manly. And there was even a girl that walked it, but I'm like, I feel like you're manlier than me right now because you have a falcon on your arm. You're just walking around. But what they would do, I also realized the, the falcon, what it would do, and you have a cool name when you own a falcon. We do this, you're called a falconer. Um, and they would, they would release it and it would go and it would chase away all the birds and the pigeons and the birds that are coming down to try to steal the food. And so they go there and they do something and I'm just like, I wanna do that for just one time. And they release it and they walk across the other thing and it flies around and it's going and like picking at birds and trying to scare them off and then it calls it and it lands back on its arm. I'm like, that is awesome. But I realize I'm like, there's, there's like food and people's plates and stuff on the ground, but the birds, I mean, if you walk to Charleston or you, you drop something in New York City, like your keys may be gone by a pigeon. Let's be honest. They're just going to, ooh, I'm going to take it. But their stuff was laying around and the birds weren't down like eating the food. But I also realized, but there were still birds around. They were up in the trees, like in the palm trees and they were just kind of hanging out. And I realized that the falcon's job was not to make sure that no birds showed up. It was to just make sure the birds didn't stay. It was to make sure they didn't come down and mess with everyone else. Now, here's the truth. We can't live in a life where we're never gonna be inundated by something, right? And unless we all packed up today, we find a cornfield in Indiana, we go off the grid, we get rid of electricity, of devices, we, we homeschool, we homestead, we grow our own food, we have no contact with the outside world. Some of you are all like, that sounds awesome. Some of you are like, nightmare. Um, depend upon your personality. Right? And then we control every single influence from the outside world. More than likely, it's not possible for most of us in this room, right? You're going to be inundated with something. You're, you're going to be on Instagram and something's going to come across your screen. You're going to have something that, that, uh, that is going to pull for your attention and stretch you thin and you're going to give less to the relationships that, that you actually want to and you're, you're, you're distracted. We can't control every thought that comes at us, but you know what we get to do? We get to control the ones that stay. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says, for though we live in the world, right? We're called to live in the world, not just on, a, on an isolation somewhere and say, the heck with y'all, I'm gonna do my own thing and we're gonna just hunker down here and have a little holy huddle and just, we're gonna, we're gonna try to protect our, you know, our purity and, and everything of this. And so we're gonna, you know, melt if somebody passing by us acts like the world. He says, no, no, no. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. This wep the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That in our life, as the thoughts come, as images come, as whatever comes, we may not be able to control everything that comes at us, but we get to control what stays. Another pastor said it this way. He's like, when you take somebody captive, you don't just like handcuff them and throw them in the corner. No, no, no. You interrogate them. Why are you here? Who sent you? What's your purpose? What are your plans? What are you up to? Is that we would be men and women of, of, of courage, of boldness, of conviction, that when things come, that we don't just, ah, just came across. No, no, no. We would take thoughts captive, wrestle them, and make them obedient to Christ. Why is this here? What have I opened up? Is, is there somewhere that these things are being allowed in that we would walk in integrity and in honesty and purity? And here's the truth. In our own power, none of this is possible. It's just not. You, you look at statistics of, of even of, of people breaking free from, from, from addictions that behavior modification alone does not work. It helps, it helps to, to kickstart things, but behavior modification doesn't produce continual lasting change. Heart change does, right? And, and for us, the lasting change is not by us just trying to be good. The lasting change for you and I is to realize that we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us, who gives us strength, who gives us the ability it says that every temptation we face, that he provides a way out. That for us, that Jesus came to set captives free. That if we believe and put our faith in the finished work of what he did on the cross, that we have within us the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So if we feel stuck, it doesn't mean that we stay stuck. If we feel like we are just tumbling in the same cycle it doesn't mean we have to stay there, but what we may have to do is make some changes, is to trust the Holy Spirit to give us the strength, the courage to make the hard decisions, to be different than the world because we're called different. Like our, 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 our sights are not just on the here and now, but we are living for eternity. That God has put in us a purpose and a plan. John 10, 10, very well-known passage of scripture says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come so they may have life and have it to the full. Our freedom, our freedom doesn't begin with us trying to be good or trying to do good. Our freedom began at the cross. And that's when all of us come in with, on the level playing field. We were all dead in our sin, but... God, so rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus, lived a perfect life to die, to willingly surrender his life, to be crucified for you and for me so that we can be made right in a right relationship with God. And that's the starting place for all of us. And we realize that we were fought for, that we are loved, that he rescued us from sin, then we don't live like captives. We live in the freedom that we find in Christ and in Christ alone. 
Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.